I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a shy little boy called Danny Moran, friendless and bullied whose life is transformed when he adopts me, a stray golden retriever with the uncanny ability to play basketball. Can I help Danny's team win the state championship? Or will we be thwarted by the schemes of my cruel former owner, the unsuccessful clown, Norman F. Snively? Oh, (laughs) sorry. I'm reading from the wrong sheet. Uh, I've I've just described a plot of the film Air Bud. I should have described this podcast as being about two adult men yapping on and on about films. One of the men is Danny, and the other is me, Sam Foster. Brilliant. Brilliant. Hello. It's massive tonal disparity week on Film Chat <laughs> as we review emotionally devastating Indonesian genocide doc, Jurassic World, and blockbuster Dino Romp, The Look of Silence. I may have gotten those two confused. Plus, a look at the latest news concerning Ghostbusters 3, Groucho Marx, and a giant shark called Meg. And there's just enough time for me to do my high-speed medley of all the Billy Joel hits in a segment Katie assures me will make the final cut. Sounds excellent, doesn't it? They it's a good lineup. The piano man. <laughs> blue, blue, blue. I don't know. What other songs has he written? Uptown Girl? Uh, yeah, he wrote that as well. So there'll be a high-speed medley of Uptown Girl songs. and Piano Man. <laughs> Uptown girl, she's been living in an uptown girl, but she never had a white bread guy. But her mama never told her why. I'm gonna fly for piano man. <laughs> had a letter sam an email i know yeah. crazy i did a um, triple i did a quadruple take patrick stewart style my god yeah Only you that's were how baked in a tray house <laughs> talking to your fiance be exactly the same the letter reads as follows dear danny sam and katie hi guys appropriately sized fan of the show tom garud here as one of your many fans i can't help but feel that we need a name for ourselves star trek's got its trekkies lady gargoyle's got her little monsters what have we got i've been trying to think of a name for us film chat fans at first i thought Film chatters 
or maybe movie conversationalists. Then I thought, is Belieber's taken? I hope not, because that sounds great. Keep up the good work, Tom. Well, well nice to hear from you, thank Tom. Thank you, Tom Guru, for running in. Um, well, I think there's a, um, like a real podcast now. There's an implicit, uh, real flattery to that. Or maybe it's just explicit, because I think Star Trek and Lady Gaga probably reached a certain level of fame before their fans adopted monikers for themselves. It's true. So if we, are we as now as big as Star Trek, do you think? Uh, bigger. Bigger. Yeah. yeah, bigger than Star Trek. That's the sort of <laughs> hubristic thing that's going to haunt you if you say that. Yeah, what do, I don't know. What would you call us? What do you think um, of Tom's options? Those are all great. I've got film chums. Oh, yeah. Because it's got the same CH sound. That's good, yeah. And, like, our friends are film chums, and people who disagree with us are film chumps. <laughs> and then I thought maybe film chumber bitches. Um, like, was that for the girls? Like, 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 yeah, the film chumber bitches are, like, <laughs> the, the women who like us. What is that, like, Benedict, Cumber, yeah. Benedict Cumberbatch you know, like, fans? Yeah, they're called chumber bitches, somewhat. So, yeah. Strange name. Yeah, film, good idea, Film though. friends? <laughs> film friends is like the um kind of children's cartoon version of what we do isn't it uh, that's true film and friends um the milf raised because <laughs> i feel like raised by MILF oh you mean like unofficial. that's that's hyphenated yeah the milf raised because i feel like raised by milfs is our unofficial podcast yeah. name it sounds like it should have an army of the at the, at the start <laughs> yeah well i was thinking because adam and joe had black squadron yeah so i was thinking like a we should have like a military theme so i was thinking something division and then I just thought Joy Division because that's because that's what we bring. That's what we bring. But I thought maybe Joy Derision because we take <laughs> joy in being um, derisive. Yeah, that's, I don't know about joy that one. De- joy Derision. Joy Derision. I haven't didn't come prepared with a list of options. Oh uh, what? Well, that took a long time. My other, my one final option is I was thinking our catchphrase, write in and let us know. Mm-hmm. Turn into an acronym. It's we are look. <laughs> Just call our uh, fans that. We are look. Oh, why are look? Where is this? Write in and let us know. W I A L U K. Oh, yeah. UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are look? Like, well, how about like Y L U K? Why are UK? <laughs> like it's a brand. Yeah, why are UK? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> really, this is absolutely nonsense. <laughs> Doesn't make yeah. any sense. I don't know, Tom. Like, I don't know. We're going to throw this out to the forums, the Reddit um, forums. Yeah, the Reddit. Now that serial's gone, they yeah, need something check, to talk about. Check that Reddit thread dedicated to our podcast. You know, the one that goes into all the Easter eggs and all the little secrets we put in there for the listeners, and what we really meant when we said certain things, and the yeah. one that heaps abuse on us. Go on that one and start a start a thread there about. Yeah. Uh, what you call yourselves? Yeah. If it if it goes any way the the our attempt to title the podcast go, um, whatever the first thing anyone says, that will stick. <laughs> so be careful. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful, film chatters. Oh. oh. Uh, it happened. Um. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Stay filmy. Um. Yeah. We also need to work on our catchphrases. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things need work. Superhero films announced Casting rumours leaking out M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped Matt Damon's in a viral vid Michael Bay's made a mint That's the news that's fit to print The only other communication we had this week was a post from James Andrews um, referring to, or maybe I'm you know, slipping into the news section here, but the very sad death of Christopher Lee um, shortly after we did last week's podcast, wanting a, a Christopher Lee tribute episode, which this isn't, 
but it does contain a Christopher Lee tribute. So yeah. not the whole episode, but it's in there. Yeah. So I look forward to that at the end, James. That's a reason to stick around. <laughs> 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 so fans of monster movies are probably pretty happy right now. Yeah. But Jurassic World is a huge hit. And also there's been a spate recently of those kind of comedy, crazy monster films like Sharknado and Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus. Mega like, Sharknado versus yeah, massive... Versus um, a volcanic Twister. insect. Or <laughs> Volco dung beetle versus yeah. um, seismic uh, yeah. plate-shifting grasshopper. Yeah, like Flame Cat versus the nuclear dog. All that, all those, all those movies. Yes. Um, they're, they're, they're all, they're all, you know, big hits at the moment. And Eli Roth, the horror director and baseball wielding psycho from Inglorious Bastards, is capitalising on that trend, and he is making a film called Meg, <laughs> which is, doesn't have doesn't grab you in the instant way that Mega Shark versus Giant Octopus does, but no. it does start with the same three letters, so. So the key, the key letters are there. Yeah, it's it's you know it's that little um, Pavlovian whistle. Yeah, just Meg, and you're like, huh? a shark versus shark <laughs> I'll go see this. Yeah, yeah, and maybe there'll be a few stray fans of Mystic Meg going to see this movie, although they probably won't like it. <laughs> so this Meg is, will be about two deep sea divers who discover that gigantic monsters from. Uh, the Mariana Trench will be escaping and, <laughs> and heading for California's coastline where they would do untold destruction, probably. Yeah, so like Meg stands for like M- giant megalodon. Megalodon, which is a like prehistoric shark, yeah. which actually existed. But It's kind it's of like um, Pacific Rim, right? Yeah. Except instead of them like giant aliens, it's just a real monster, the megalodon. Sure. It's coming out, it's heading for California, and Jonas Taylor and his pal Masao Tanaka got to stop them will they stop them or will there be some destruction on california's coastline bloody hell who knows exciting yeah what this <laughs> sounds make, silly it's yeah. like a combination of like silly like concept and real film budget i guess it's yeah i feel just the title meg is hilarious i think meg nowadays is just synonymous with the put up on daughter from family girl yeah, that's Family Girl. Family Girl. Yeah, the spin-off. <laughs> Family. The starring, girl. Starring Meg. The girl from Family Guy. Yeah. If you see a post for Meg, someone's going to just graffiti shut up and like. Yeah, yeah, that. definitely. Uh, film critic, I'm a big fan of Wesley Morris, has said this thing that disaster movies. He's reviewing San Andreas and saying how they've sort of um, gone out of favor because they've been replaced by um, superhero movies, right? Which have a similar disaster element to them, but they've contrived a way so that you can now punch the tornado. Yeah, the yeah. destructive force is now embodied in a person, <laughs> and another destructive force can fight it. And yeah. so, all the end of the Avengers movies or any um, Marvel film is pretty much a sequence from a disaster movie. But there are also people can fly and punch each other and shit. So it's better. So way better. So it's weird that there's been a resurgence in disaster movies because you feel like that's been um, placated somewhat by yeah. the spate of. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely feel that way. Yeah, I saw I saw a city being destroyed in Avengers: Age of Ultron. I don't need to see it in San Andreas. Saw it in Man of Steel. Saw, saw it in every fucking Avengers. film that comes out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've never actually seen an Eli Roth movie. Are you going to go see Knock Knock, his new film about Keanu Reeves being seduced by two evil young well, sexy I'm women? Well, I'm a big Keanu Reeves fan, so that looks kind of fun. I saw the trailer, and he looks a bit like his John Wick character. So it's like John Wick gets seduced by some evil women. Yeah, sounds great. Do you think at one point they were going to call it Knockers Knockers? 
it's a, it's a, that's a breasts joke. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it, guys. At some point, we're just going to call it Ding Dong. <laughs> <laughs> that's much better. Much funnier than what I said. Um, speaking of horror directors, musician turned horror director Rob Zombie, uh, lead singer of White Zombie. You ever listen to her music? No. Me neither. He um, directed the Halloween remake and The Devil's Rejects and uh, The House of a Thousand Corpses. Mm-hmm. All masterpieces, I presume. Haven't seen any of them. But he's taken a big genre. I don't know what kind of turn. Left turn? Right turn? U turn? Not U turn. Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, he's going to make a Groucho Marx puppet called Raised Eyebrows, which is based on uh, the memoir of Groucho Marx's PA called Steve Stoliar. And Oren Moverman, who was the director and writer of Rampart. Oh, yeah. And it, chron- uh, it chronicles Steve's time as Groucho's PA and archivist in the years before the comedy legend died. His unusual job meant he not only got to know one of his heroes, but also those in the man's life, including his brothers, Zeppo, Gummo, uh, Zippo, Zippo, Bumbo, Wombo, Hoppo. Hoppo, and a host of Hollywood legends. Uh, and Zombie says on the subject I have been a huge Groucho Marx fan ever since I was a child and I've read countless books on the comic legend but after reading the book Raised Eyebrows a totally new perspective on Groucho's life emerged I immediately saw this project as Groucho's Sunset Boulevard and I knew how to bring it to the big screen it's a sad, funny and very dark tale of one of Hollywood's greatest stars final years sounds interesting sounds interesting I like the idea of him being the kind of uh Norma Desmond. Norma Desmond. He's like a sort of Norma Desmond. Uh... I was big, but the pictures got smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That sort of thing. I like the title. Not a huge um, Marx Brothers fan. I don't really get it. I haven't seen that much. I, I saw a bit of Duck Soup on TV and I just wanted to take fucking Zippo and strangle him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if prick. that's what. He's such a prick, you know. He's just so mean to policemen and stuff. And he, those guys are just trying to do their jobs. Yeah, it's like I feel it's one of those movies. Maybe I'm just a philistine, but it's just like it was important at the time. It's like satire, like new satire. But you watch it now, you're like, it's just a bunch of sort of fat, idiot, stupid people. And he's like, I'm swallowing you fucking cunts. Yeah, it's well, really- hey. <laughs> it's kind- that's it. Yeah, he's very smug, isn't he? Yeah, he's always like he writes scripts where he gets to be smarter than people. He won't be making it immediately, though, because uh, Rob Zombie is currently shooting Horror Thriller 31 about a group of people kidnapped and taken to a killer funhouse called Murder World. So once he's finished uh, that one, straight onto the bio. But that's a remake of Duck Soup, right? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Yeah. Ghostbusters news now. Paul Feig, who's... I'm glad we get to say him again because I've since learned his name is pronounced Feig. I was saying Feig last time. It's wrong. Idiot. Wrong. Idiot. We've had some news on his Ghostbusters remake, which is now full steam ahead now that he's done promoting Spy and literally everything like that. shooting as you listen to this. Yeah, they are probably literally firing slime at each other and trying not to cross the beams. Yeah. This very minute. Melissa McCarthy's probably saying, no human would stack books these ways. <laughs> Yeah, and all that kind of stuff. So they've released um, the official synopsis for the story. So if you don't want to know anything about it before you go to see it, look away now. But good luck avoiding all that information between now and when it comes out, because you'll probably hear it. Because we were repeating it every week. I'm going to be constantly going on about it. We won't signpost when we're going to say it. We're just going to drop it into (laughs) reviews. 
So Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy play a pair of unheralded authors who write a book positing that ghosts are real. Flash forward a few years and Wiig lands a prestigious teaching position at Columbia University, which is pretty sweet until her book resurfaces and she is laughed out of academia. Wiig reunites with McCarthy and the other two proton-packing phantom wranglers and she gets some sweet revenge when ghosts invade Manhattan and she and her team have to save the world. So it's sort of uh, thematically somewhat similar, right? Yeah. Where they, they have like university posts and they're mocked because they believe in paranormal stuff. Yeah. And then ghosts actually turn up. And apparently it has a sort of um, loose uh, idea, similar idea to Dan Aykroyd's original script. Uh, yeah, but wasn't like, that like, didn't they go to hell or something really weird like that? Well, like one of the good things, what I like about Ghostbusters is like, it's really weird. Some of the plot is just bizarre. Like well, Dan Aykroyd's weird. The plot mind. of Ghostbusters too is extremely weird. Yeah. Like, like yeah. That's what's so good about it. It's like who else would think of like yeah, the r- giant river of slime, river like- of pink slime under New York, and like the conclusion of the movie is like this whole building being covered in a shell of pink slime. It doesn't really look scary. It looks really weird. Yeah. Yeah, but it's funny because the what I like about it is that it's all these absurd like notions that creep into the movie, and then the characters comment on them, and they're like, "What the hell is this?" <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if like Dan Aykroyd just thought of one scene where he pours slime into a toaster, and then like they sing and dance along, and the toaster bounces around, and he just <laughs> built the whole plot of the film around that because it was so much fun. Uh, Ghostbusters Two is a great movie. Anyway, so terrifying that, it, movie. That sounds like, that sounds like it could be fun, and we've had a couple more items about it. Chris Hemsworth has signed on to play the receptionist in a new film. Well, the jokes just write themselves, right? They've got a super hunky super receptionist, hunky. four women, probably always hitting on him or something. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I can already picture the hilarious scenes. The receptionist character is really funny in the original one. but We it's... got one! We got one! Oh, um... my God, a ghost! <laughs> I love the um, fake ad they do. In oh, the yeah, yeah, one, yeah, yeah. Rick Moranis. Yeah. We gotta move house! <laughs> Wait, honey! Well, you know, can Chris Hemsworth be funnier than that? Um, and apparently Emma Stone was offered a role but declined. She didn't want to sign up to any new franchises and um, and she revered the original films too much. Which is fair um, enough. Which is fair enough, although she's also pretty cool and funny. Yeah, but the cast they've got... But the is, cast they've got is great. Well, like, she's funny, but they're all, like, all seasoned improvisers, yeah. the cast they've got, so maybe... It's a bit intimidating. If maybe they not. wanted to have Emma Stone because he just couldn't bear to edit that many different takes. <laughs> Just one person who doesn't Why do fucking like, improvise have, every like, line. Seventy different takes on every line. Yeah, <sighs> and Kate McKinnon is very funny. I didn't really know who she was when she was cast as me, but I've since seen her parody of Justin Bieber's yeah. Calvin Klein ad, and it's absolutely hilarious. So that bodes well. This week, Danny and I treated ourselves to two film man dates. Yeah. And we, this time we've both seen the Art House one and the, you know, Guns what? blockbuster one. So the Art House movie we went to see <laughs> was The Look of Silence, which uh, you may have seen plastered about the tube if you're London-based. It's a very harrowing and intense but brilliant documentary directed by Joshua Oppenheimer. It's the companion piece to a documentary made a couple of years ago called The Act of Killing, which um, got a lot of press at the time, which Danny's seen but that I haven't. Yeah. Um, and both movies are about the purge of communists in Indonesia in 1965 and 1966. Basically, there was a failed coup in the country which was blamed on the Communist Party and that led to mass reprisals and the genocide of about one million Indonesians. So, wow. 
and the act of killing focused on the perpetrators of um, the genocide and got them to reenact what they did in a sort of strange, um, bizarre bit of theatre. And this film focuses on the survivors and follows this optometrist called Addy, who is in a family that was affected by the genocide. And he goes around and interviews some of the um, people who are in the death squads and their commanders who were responsible for the death of his brother. And it also shows you the effect on his family and get a little bit of the context as well, the kind of political context and the state of current Indonesia where the um, death squad members are still portrayed as basically war heroes and that government is still in power. So it's very interesting. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was brilliant. It's yeah, it's, it's pretty amazing. Would you, would is, is it on a par with the act of killing for you? Yeah, it, it's a bit hard to say like which one's better or like more entertaining. Seems like the wrong choice of words. It's it's sadder, like a lot sadder. Obviously, it's a bit more moving. The first one is just so morbidly fascinating. Mm. They both are, but that, that one particularly is very um, surreal. Which it sort of covers similar ground, but this one, um, just by the virtue that's the victims rather than the perpetrators. Yeah. I mean, there was there is moving. still quite a bit about the perpetrators, and they do a little bit of reenacting what they did as well. I felt like I was getting a kind of glimpse of the act of killing um, as part of this one, but instead of, you're sort of seeing it through the eyes of this guy. I don't know. This is such a vague term. It's almost like humans. Like It's like humans in, in, at incredible extremes. Yeah. Like real extremes of behavior. And, and it's a bit strange because everyone watching people. it is like, it's like a film that has like a universal reaction because like everyone, like the audience watching the movie are like appalled. But the perpetrators have reacted to this horrible thing they've done in such a human way, which is just they've become sort of complicit. In they've they've rationalized it. And they've they've rationalized somehow rationalized it. it, yeah. It's the same way you'd react to a minor faux pas they react to like the biggest crime in humanity yeah, yeah. and it's uh weirdly you're sort of able to identify it to, to in a degree with the way they've sort of dealt with well sort of yeah they were all familiar with how people cope with cognitive dissonance and employ double think in order to you know make yeah. themselves feel better about stuff and you rarely uh, uh, see it done in and such and um in such crazy way yeah it has the sort of similar fascinating thing that i'm told was in the act of killing of these guys recounting the awful things they did in the most offhand like they're kind of grinning they're and like they're old like laughing fishing about buddies it. or something it's yeah. like they went to the same camp it yeah was like a death camp you know it's like crazy summer they once had yeah and and this time you have this uh addy the optometrist is this real moral center some things about the movie feel as though it's a fiction film that was written because of the roles they serve and he is almost like the audience because he's so he has such moral clarity and he's very fearless and he he's very direct in the way he confronts these people and he asks them the questions that you would want to ask you want them to be confronted yeah, with these things and he brilliant. does it he's amazing and he gets bolder and bolder as the film goes on well what's interesting about his position is like he was born two years after his brother died yeah so he's just like lived in the shadow of this event his whole life and his parents are dealing with this grief of this like imaginary older brother he never had yeah and I know it's like the interesting examination of sort of generational like horror. It's like yeah, you yeah. know the sins of our fathers. Like, yeah, like he was born that. at the dawn of this new age. Yeah, yeah, and his whole life has been under this government. And it's interesting the way you sort of see the next generation as well. And he they follow his kids a little bit, and you see his son at school being taught that the communists are evil, and you know their um, yeah, the current government history. is all heroes, and yeah. 
Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's fascinating on that level of sort of human psychology and also as a way to shed a spotlight on something which is not a terribly well-known... It's probably one of the less well-publicized atrocities in the 20th century. Killing. Yeah, and it's major as well. Like a million people is... Yeah. Like yeah. It's, a, it's a huge, huge event. I think one of the, like, the strengths of both this and the act of killing is that because it's so horrific, it's easy to like get a numbness to like mm. this extreme. But I think because he always um, focuses his films around one person, you have like an audience avatar. Even in the first one, it's the avatar is like a crazy man who's like a genocidal maniac. But I feel like there's a more journalistic version of this story which wouldn't be nearly as good. Mm. Well, the sort of PBS documentary. Yeah, like, nat- like sort of slow, somber voiceover over some moving black and white photographs. Kind yeah, of thing. completely. And what's so sort of amazing about the way it's put together? Because like making a documentary has got a whole sort of different set of rules to it, and it's amazing how it's sort of creatively really interesting the way things are structured and shot. Mm. And he pulls all these like images that reoccur and moments that sort of um, form like a little sort of thematic visual uh don't put it like journey through the movie but at the same time you don't feel like he's manipulating the truth for any way right. he serves the story in a sort of uh ethical manner yeah because and then also delivers like a sort of wholly satisfying yeah journey yeah because with something so the subject matter is so emotive that it would feel cheap if you felt like it was too like fictionalized and structured in that way yeah but it actually feels incredibly incredibly genuine particularly because the most dramatic moments come between the encounters or confrontations between him and these death squad guys which obviously you know they actually happened you know you can't just recut it in order to make it seem like that you know he asks them a question they respond and it's like incredible yeah i think it was very clever the way that he put all um put his movie together to sort of so you gradually learn more and more about the specific death of his brother yeah it's something that's you know fits into normal narrative cinema it's a bit like in cash 22 when yeah. you hear more and more about the death of Snowden in the plane, and then at the end you get the full scene and you find out everything that happened. And yeah. in this movie, it's a similar kind of thing where you hear like bits and pieces about his brother's death, and then you realize the sort of full horror of it at the end. Yeah, like he obviously. Um, I wish I'd done my research a bit better, but he like spent years collating all this informi- all this material, yeah. and you I really was, tell. <clears throat> yeah, I was reading. I was actually reading um, a piece he did in the Guardian when he when he made the act of killing. Yeah, he was there for years. I think he started in 2003 or something. Wow. And apparently the main guy in the act of killing is the 41st person, uh, or the 41st perpetrator that he interviews. Wow. And before he was interviewing them, he was interviewing survivors. And then it was the survivors' idea for him to go and interview the perpetrators because it was harder to interview the survivors yeah. because they're more likely to be repressed by the current regime. Whereas you go to the perpetrators and they just tell you everything they did. <laughs> and, yeah. But it's like, I mean, my point is, like, sometimes you watch a documentary, especially like telev- TV stuff, is like where they've just clearly they had X number of days to shoot. They were there for a year and they just have to make a film out of it. Yeah. But it feels like he just sort of collated everything and then like let it stew until the film emerged. Yeah, everything's absolutely. Everything's being yeah. considered and everything's in its right place. You don't feel like, you know, you feel like you're really safe hands what it what it absolutely doesn't feel like is someone stretching the success of the first documentary out into a second one you feel more like you you were getting a drop in the ocean of how much work he's done and yeah it's really it's really amazing and he's got this uh his father is this incredibly um decrepit old man he's like blind bald yeah he's he he looks like this a symbol of torment from a sort of medieval painting or something 
It looks like you'd, you'd see an image of hell where he was being swallowed by a like demonic snake. Yeah, you have no. I have no idea what happened to him. Whether he's just old, um, and you know, crippled. But he is this kind of symbol in the movie of the horrors of yeah. that time, like living on. He's this. Inc- yeah. It's, yeah. It's, this, it's another thing where you feel like he would have just written that in if it wasn't there already. And yeah. I think we should stress like um, it's not at all hard work to like watch it. It's so engrossing. It's not like you got to strap yourself in and you know it's like. I'd say I'd say it's like so. emotionally tiring, but it's very dramatically gripping. It's yeah. a, it's a gripping story. You want to see what happens next. Completely, and uh, it's a great date movie. As oh, well. it's, I mean, it's hot, hot as shit. This film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think every, every time you see him go to interview the next Death Squad guy, you're like, what the hell's going to happen this time? Yeah. Yeah, it's good. Um, so, wholehearted recommendation. My favourite film stars Bridget Bardo. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends. And the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Okay. Okay. So that was the homework done. <laughs> so now cool. it's time to party. Oh, God. Oh. Did you get through it, guys? <laughs> Oh, oh, that was heavy. Uh, what, what is the absolute opposite of that? A film of total <laughs> nonsense from start to finish. Uh, thank God there's one. I think it was probably the perfect thing to take me back, I would say, out of the real world into a world of total fantasy where I can forget about the awful stuff that happens um, in reality and just settle into fluffy bullshit. <laughs> fluffy bullshit. Which was the working title of Jurassic World. Jurassic World. That's what we're talking about, guys. So, yeah. Jurassic World. Uh, is there any point? Has anyone seen Jurassic Park? Is that? <laughs> um, so It's like dinosaurs, you know. Like, um, Jurassic Park is now Jurassic World. It's open. has been open for many years. Pretty much like SeaWorld. And um, numbers have plateaued. Plateaued. Numbers right? have <laughs> plateaued. Numbers have plateaued. It's becoming less popular. So, in their wisdom, the um, genetic scientists at Jurassic World decided to make a giant super dinosaur called the Indominus Rex. You just went and made a new dinosaur. As Chris Pratt puts it, overseeing parks management is Bryce Dallas Howard playing a stuck-up bitch. It's a <laughs> title. Um, I think, like, until just before they made the movie, I think it just said frigid career woman. In frigid the, career woman. In the script. Her yeah. nephews, who she hasn't seen in seven years, are uh, coming to visit, though she immediately passes them off to some PA because she's too busy. Bad aunt. Uh, the kids' names is, like, little earnest one and sulky older prick. Yeah. And... <laughs> um, <laughs> Meanwhile, Chris Pratt plays a uh, hunky man. He's uh, <laughs> he's in charge of... He's like a raptor whisperer. He's <laughs> making sure the raptors are learning how to follow orders. Yeah. He's got an evil boss. He wants to use it for military purposes. Hunky man's like, no. And the big Donimus Rex gets out and some shit happens. He gets out. Is that it a concise enough review? Yeah. Didn't really, didn't really think that I would that say, through. yeah, that was a good synopsis. And I think the tone in which you delivered it probably succinctly captured um, our reaction to this movie. I don't know at what point it lost me. It might have been the uh, kids. I think it was this, any scene where the kids had to talk to each other. Oh, God. And it was just, uh, it was like the word, it was like a, they just took a scene from an awful American sitcom and uh, they just used the dialogue from that. Um, well, it was fun. Like the, I had a good time. We were sitting there. You'd brought some crabbies in. You know, we're crabbies men. And uh, an alcoholic ginger beer. Some cold, alky ginger beer. It was delicious. And it was kind of fun. I, I enjoyed watching it. The, the, it sort of zips along. 
Yeah, I unintentionally laughed a lot. I laughed a lot as well. I've got some like broad points to share some good laughs. Um, the movie, which is basically Jurassic Park, is like a franchise which shouldn't really be a franchise because it's got a very limited pool of ideas to draw from. Yeah, and I, the first I agree. film sort of exhausted all of them <laughs> and so every entry has less sequel potential than the previous one so basically this is just a poor remake of the first film they've gone back to the roots by which i mean they've copied the roots but it's uh just full of direct lifts like it's a bit sort of creatively bankrupt there's like bits where that reminds me of a scene from the first movie and when you yeah. have that feeling consistently for the whole two yeah, hours absolutely one of the things that's uh, sort of interesting about the film, I thought, was that it's got this sort of meta... It's not really meta, it's not really subtext because it's just text where the point of the movie is people are just bored by dinosaurs. They we just need want, super we dinosaurs. We need a bigger, louder, more exciting dinosaur and it's some sort of like meta it's commentary. Like a comment on the audience for the film itself. Yeah. yeah, so it's a film that argues against its own existence yeah. throughout. Yeah, Which is like a odd. bizarre and confused mess. It's, it feels like it's trying to be smart, but it's not. And uh, the, look I, at you idiots coming to see this stupid film. And like the kind of seems the like villain, that. the Indominus Rex, is almost like a metaphor for the film itself. It's just like cobbled together from bits of other <laughs> Jurassic Park movies. <laughs> yeah. But then, like um, the way the plot is resolved is in a manner that is symbolic of the first film. We're saying like the first film beats this film, uh, and on so on a metaphor level. I feel like they were trying to. They thought they were so clever doing it, but it's a bit annoying. And it's got a very sort of cynical view where it's like, you stupid, dumb audience, you just like lap up this shit. You know, what happened to, you know, it's a bit like Tomorrowland, I thought, which mm. is like, you don't feel awe anymore and then produces a film which gives you no reason to feel awe. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, we're, they position themselves above it and then prove themselves beneath it. <laughs> right, yeah. I, 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 I kind of felt like it was quite a cynical film as well. And because it's trying to capture that Spielbergian thing which is a sense of childlike wonder and joy about everything but doing it in a really cynical way it leaves a bit of a sour taste in the mouth yeah it was such a studio movie it was just a bunch of guys sitting around thinking we need to make a Jurassic Park sequel because it'll make money and how do we do that successfully copy every single thing from Jurassic Park and just do it again yeah Yeah, like Spielberg's often accused of like being a bit too schmaltzy or you know laying it on a bit thick with the emotional beats but he's like a real master of that stuff where instead of sort of you know playing the audience like an orchestra this is like just throw anything at the screen see what hits like the kids parents are uh having marital problems because that's like a spielberg thing yeah. but like it serves no plot function whatsoever it's just like in there it's like we've got to have some uh, warring parents they're in it for two that, minutes that really felt like a because they went through a lot of different um revisions of scripts right and that felt like a hanger like that felt like it was a bigger presence in a different draft there's one reference there's one bit where it's mentioned that the, the parents are going through a divorce yeah, and uh, it. it sort of makes the mean older kid be a bit nicer to the younger kid in one bit but it just it just makes him an idiot because he makes a terrible decision yeah and um and that's pretty much the only function it has yeah, it's basically, it's there's very, just a lot of odd. really basic problems. A lot of basic problems. The well, characterization is absolutely terrible. Like, the script is really bad. I think that's a, that's a part of it. When you say, like, Spielberg movies tend to be better at um, playing on people's emotions, like, the script is, they're better. Yeah. Jurassic Park has got a good script. It's not just about how well the dinosaurs are used. You know, the characters and the stuff they get to do is more interesting. The stuff they say is more interesting. And this one, it's just flat as cardboard, like, everything. It's so lazy, I love it. And it's also built around these kind of false premises. One of them is that dinosaurs would be great in a war. 
It's like, who the hell thinks that? <laughs> yeah. Like, they're a great, they're a weapon, untapped weapon power. I don't know what that means. And uh, the other one is like, people get bored of dinosaurs, which obviously isn't true. People are so bored of dinosaurs. Like, there's a bit where, like, guys, like, there's a T-Rex behind him. He's just checking his iPhone. Yeah. It's that like, was, like, that would... something you said to me after we saw the movie. Is like, it's like, people still go to zoos, right? Yeah. People still impressed by, like, elephants and tigers and snakes and things that are comparatively normal. If I normal. see, a, you know, a large... If I say a dog, any dog, I'm just, you know, I check it out. This is the one place <laughs> in the world where you can come to see a dinosaur, right? Yeah. And yet, 20 years later, people are just, uh, we can't be, uh, can't be bothered. Yeah, but and then like it's you want to really... go to Jurassic World? Oh my God, are you kidding me? They've got a new bigger dinosaur. Oh my God, I want to go. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't it doesn't ring true. Um, and it was kind of comical the way that uh, the whole Jurassic Parky notion of there's one character who's worried about progress and uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like they have that again, but now it's one step further down the line. Something else you said to me after yeah. the movie, or it's yeah. Actually, scientific progress can cope with the existence of dinosaurs, but it can't cope with super dinosaurs. Don't make the super dinosaurs. For God's next, sake. In the next movie, there'll just be a whole pocket of super dinosaurs. It's like, well, we're making the super ultra dinosaurs. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> okay, we we made it invisible and it can fly into space now. That's the only thing audiences will come to see. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, it, people like. It just thinks you're an idiot. The, the film just thinks you're a total idiot, basically. It yeah. You like that. There's, um,. It's basically like characters only are really inconsistent. They're like shit to begin with, but they're not even um, consistently shit. Like they'll say one thing, their action will immediately contradict what's just been established. Yeah. And there's like a um, there's this sort of sexism aspect to it, which yeah. I don't think it's not like the movie is made by misogynists, but it's just made by people who are lazy. Yeah, and just couldn't be asked to think of, of like you know oh, what happened. What's, what's that? The, what's, what's that, that movie? gender trope from that film I saw in 1975? <laughs> yeah. Oh, just do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's terrible, which, they, yeah. And and I felt like, first of all, they, basically the sexism problem in the movie is um, Bryce Dallas House character, who's kind of the main character of the movie. She probably gets the most stuff to do. Chris Pratt is the sexy co-lead, but he does not grow or change at all. He's exactly the same at the end as he's at the beginning. All his ideas turn out to be true. He's right about everything. So, great man. It's really boring. Um, whereas Bryce Dallas Howard's character, you know, gets some you know, like attempt at character development and stuff like that. So that's good. But unfortunately, the sort of message of it is is a bit unpleasant. She's presented at the beginning. She's got this sort of helmet haircut and this tight, Angles. white, super, yeah, like power woman dress, and she is kind of mocked a little bit. You know, she doesn't get animals, man. She's too out of touch. She doesn't have time for her nephews. And the sort of then Judy Greer has this really thankless role as a nephew's mom who just calls and calls up Bryce Dallas Howard and cries down the phone. Because I love my kids so much. Why is she looking at them right now? <laughs> and you sort of feel like the screenwriter has only, he has never encountered a real woman in his life. He's only seen movies with female characters. Sure, in. yeah. There's the crying mom one and the bitchy office one. Wouldn't it be funny if they they were together? And then over the course of the movie, she gradually sort of, you know, she's forced to unbuckle her office belt because all hell breaks loose. And we're supposed to have a bit more, like, you know, respect for her and like her character a little bit more because, look, she's uh, concerned about the kids now and she's running away from dinosaurs now. She's got some mud on her and she's, you know, a little bit breathless and more fun. And then at the end... The final message seems to be kind of... It was sort of hinting... I don't know if they intended this, but there's a real overtone of uh, 
you know, you should not have concentrated on your career. Just settle down with a man and have kids. There's this like moment at the end yeah. where that seems to be where it's kind of pointing. And it's like, really? And the, the message yeah. of the original Jurassic Park is beware of um, messing with powers you do not understand. And it's this kind of yeah. general theme about the limits of um, mankind's ability to control nature. And now it's a whole theme about how women shouldn't pursue their careers too much or something. I don't know. It's like, well, there's a line where, like, on that crying scene, which is like, like when you have kids, and like Bryce is like, if, and she's like, when? Yeah. It's you like, will have kids. You will have kids. It is a woman's destiny. <laughs> you must. So, um, so I don't know. week is Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> For the people who are. Not up for the look of silence. That, yeah, the film of the week is Mad Max. That's a fourth entry into a franchise which is full of ideas. <laughs> yeah, and like amazing, and is awe-inspiring. Makes me like feel uh, hopeful about cinema and stuff. I'm not like a super jaded person. Yeah, like you know, you gave me a reason to go to the movies, George Miller. You. Colin Trevorrow with your haughty opinions. I care not for you <laughs> and your shitty movie. <laughs> It's a great sadness that news that Christopher Lee died last week. Yeah. At the grand old age of 93. Yeah. Hell of a run. And uh, pretty, like, all this information about his life I wasn't really familiar with. I only really knew him in his, from his Lord of the Rings and Star Yeah, Wars absolutely. Days. Yeah, I, I pretty much knew him as someone who was Saruman, and then before that he was Dracula, and then not, not much else. But he, like, even before he started acting, he was, like, in the war, he was, like, a Nazi hunter, he spoke four languages, he, like, I don't yeah. know, he's like, pretty incredible. Incredible, incredible man. I think the fact that I didn't um, truly appreciate the, when I first learned of his advanced <laughs> years, and yeah. found it funny... It's just like the fact that he is that old. It just gives him so much of this history. Yeah. You know, he was born in 1922. Yeah, for like yeah, World he War Two, like a proper a World, World War Two veteran. I kind of like the fact that he, um, you know, he saw people killed. You know, he was a proper soldier in the horrors of war and everything. And then he went like the his film career with all these absurd camp Dracula films. Brilliant. Yeah. He brought yeah. a lot of joy, particularly this podcast, mainly because of his age. Yeah. I mean, for that alone. He was, legend. I mean, he was. Uh, he always seemed to be game to just turn up in these movies, and they would just ask him to do his sort of Christopher Lee evil old man thing, and uh, he was always giving it his all. Yeah, I think a, a sort of pithy quote I read about him is like he's. It was in a lot of bad movies, but he was never bad in them. Yeah, it's just one of those had no sort of airs or graces about him. Yeah, despite exactly. Always yeah. playing aristocratic people, <laughs> he didn't seem to be particularly snobbish about genre films. He like you know did everything. Yeah, absolutely. What a guy. What a guy. So um, tributes have been flooding in from various corners for Christopher Lee. Tim Burton has paid tribute to him. They were friends. And Johnny Depp as well, I believe. They were friends. And uh, the latest one is a very special musical tribute by Nick Cave, who has adapted his song um, from his album Murder Ballads, Stagger Lee. Um, But he's replaced Stagger with Christopher Lee. And... We are able to premiere that song for you. And, and, uh, so to play us out, Nick Cave with Christopher Lee. Yeah. See you next time, guys. Bye. Bye. He was born in 22, lived a century through. Dropped bombs on the Nazis in World War II. Christopher Lee. 
holler, filled with juice and said, you're too tall to act. He told them they were gonna eat the motherfucking hats, Christopher Lee. He was a bad motherfucker in a thousand ways. He played for Manchu and Vespitin and of course Dracula in his hammer holidays. Christopher Lee. I am Dracula, and I welcome you to my house. Well, he terrified them in Alaska. He scared them in Japan as a golden gun assassin or a crazy pagan in the wick man. Like a girl in a bikini. Christopher Lee. No concealed weapons. In the 80s and the 90s, he didn't do too much. He found in Pakistan in a film that no one watched. Christopher Lee. Who are you? Why do you want to kill me? You are an ignorant. Where were starring roles? Were his million fans? They were awaiting the arrival of a badass evil wizard named Salaman. Played by Christopher Lee. It's victory! For the next ten years, Chris was on top of his game. He was in all the biggest movies and he made two metal albums about Charlemagne. Sung by Christopher Lee. The thought he lasts forever. It wasn't to be. He passed away in June at the age of 93. Sir Christopher Lee. CBE. I know he's out there somewhere on the distant coast. Hanging out with Peter Cushing and scaring the bejesus out of the Holy Ghost. Christopher Lee. All right. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 